0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. All right. Thanks, y'all. All right. So I brought this uh, screen out to, uh, to kind of see where things went wrong in Tuscaloosa last night. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Hey, did anyone notice the, the reading from... Uh, the Old Testament reading, Haggai, let's. I just think that if, if you are an Alabama fan, I just want you to, to hear these words where it said, It said, uh, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, declares the Lord. Be strong. Be strong, all you people of the clan, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Anyway, so you can go home and you can, you can misappropriate that for yourself uh, spiritually. But let's have a word of prayer. The Lord be with you. Uh, our God and Heavenly Father, you are so good to us, and Lord, you have given us a godly heritage in the nation in which we live and we're grateful for that, and Lord, that we would not take for granted uh, those liberties that we enjoy, uh, but Lord, that we would uh, keep our hand to the plow and, uh, and plow uh, while it is still day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the title today is provocative, uh, just to basically get you here and get you armed for bear. The question is, America a Christian nation and does it matter? Uh, I'm not going to get into the history of America uh, and, uh, and and, and our founding fathers and 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 all of that uh, that kind of stuff, because I think it's more important to think about where we are right now uh, in the world in which we live, uh, because we can always hearken back and say that there was a a glory day period or a period in the life of uh, Christianity in which uh the the gospel uh, was going out in a more uh, effective way, Uh, but I would challenge us against that for a couple reasons. One, uh, original sin is evenly distributed, so it's not as if God can't do now what He's done in the past, and we easily forget that. And so when we read about the first and second great awakenings in the United States and the great revivals uh, that took place, uh, even in the, the smallest of places where I served in Beaufort, South Carolina, uh, in a, uh, is still um, enjoying the fruit of a revival that broke out in the 1830s where uh, in a town of 12,000 people, St. Helena's, when I was there, uh, had a membership of 1,500. So that would be like over 100,000 people being members of the Advent, statistically. Um, and, uh, and out of Buford at the time, which was uh, l- less than a thousand people living there, they sent 50 men into full-time ministry. And amongst them, one of them was the first English uh, American uh, Anglican bishop to go to China, uh, a man by the name of Boone. Uh, and so little Wee Buford uh, was used by God in that regard. And why can't he do it today? I mean, I think that if anything good can come out of South Carolina, surely uh, he can uh, do a great work today. I'm sorry about the small print, but I will—I'll—I'll uh, I'll, I'll try to do my best to to read it a- aloud. So, where are we today? That's what I want us to talk about. Uh, where are we today? I think that it's—it's it's, um, that we live in America in a decidedly uh, post-Christian era, um, and there still are shadows of Christendom, but by and large. Uh, Christianity is, uh, is not in the societal place of preference that it once enjoyed in the United States. And that may not necessarily be a bad thing. Uh, I think that what we're experiencing now is a lot more what the early church experienced, where we saw God do a great work. And we're actually now running into people in America who have never even heard the gospel. And lest you think, now Birmingham is going to be the last city to go the way of secularism. Uh, 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 Birmingham and Meridian, uh, with Chattanooga, somewhere around there, we're going to battle it out uh, for the last Christian city in America, and a lot of people in Birmingham uh, do go to church, Uh, but uh, even in Birmingham, I'm finding more and more that when we arrived, people would say, oh, I go to Advent, or I go to this church, or I go to that church, and those same people are now being honest and say, I grew up at that church, I grew up at Advent, I I grew up at wherever. And so they're actually acknowledging what they've what they've really been practicing all along, as I may have a cultural connection to that church, but I really don't have any spiritual connection. And furthermore, furthermore I don't really have any sort of personal relationship with God, even though I would consider myself spiritual. So Renewal Works, which uh, works with the Episcopal Church, it doesn't have any agenda. It really is trying to renew the Episcopal Church, but much more from an institutional side. This is kind of a a national church uh, movement uh, that would be completely in line with what the Episcopal church is trying to do. But even in their surveys, after surveying thousands and thousands of Episcopalians, do you know how many Episcopalians they found can say that they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? 24% meaning that 76% of people who say that they're Episcopalian can't say that they have a personal relationship with Jesus. So forget the culture. I mean, even within our own denomination, there seems to be a huge disconnect between what we're trying to do and the actual result. And I'm not even going to get into that today. But I do want to talk about the culture a little bit and where we are, because I wonder if sometimes we're not preaching we're not preaching answers to questions that, that aren't being asked. And, uh, and some research recently came out uh, through uh, the Fount of All Wisdom, the University of Virginia. Uh, and, uh, and our friend Justin Holcomb and uh, another buddy of ours, Glenn Luckey, um, they, uh, they worked really, really hard, and they wanted to find people in the United States who were either unchurched, meaning they really didn't grow up in church at all, or they were de-churched, meaning they may, they're those people who say, I grew up at. And they really wanted to know what they believed. And what they found uh, really shows how off the church has been in trying to minister to them and actually uh, trying to uh, preach answers to questions that they have. So some of the key findings uh, is um, uh, from a, they had a list of 23 items and five clear objections to Christianity emerge. Um, and mostly they sent around intolerance, a differing of op- opinions, and a feeling that Christians don't practice what they preach. The, the nice word for that is hypocrisy. So of all these people that were asked, what is your objection to Christianity? 55% said some Christian groups are too intolerant. 50% said, the Christian religion and I have different views on social issues like abortion or gay marriage. 49% said, I don't like how some Christian groups meddle in politics. 45% said, many Christians are hypocrites. Uh, now, I hope that if I surveyed the Advent, 100% of us would say Christians are hypocrites. Uh, that's, that's the nature of being saved. Uh, there are lots of relig- 42% said there are lots of religions and i'm not sure only one has to be the right way now before we say okay i want you to see 42% said there are lots of religions and i'm not sure only one has to be the right way that means that 58% said i'm okay with there being one way and yet how many times have you heard a sermon even here at the Advent where, where that's kind of zoned in on as some sort of big issue that people are are struggling with? But actually, people who don't even claim to be Christians would say that, that that's not one of their bigger struggles. And of course, all of this is coming out of the, the last election. And uh, And what I would say to that is that I do think that in our country that uh, and it was talked about today in the, in the gospel reading that uh, Zach preached on and I'm going to preach on in the refectory, in Luke chapter 11, where there does seem to be a disconnect between trying to be Christian, but that's not really translating itself into desiring the things that God wants for the world around us. So think about Christianity when it was first coming along in, um, thanks Gil, wherever you went, uh, think about Christianity... Uh, when it began to emerge in the Mediterranean world and really grew by leaps and bounds because of the circumstance uh, that God provided uh, through the Roman Empire. But early on, Christians began to distinguish themselves and differentiate themselves. And what does the book Book of Acts say that people would say about the Christians that was different from the world around them? There's a little phrase. See how they love one another. And so even early on, one of the things that the Romans really got upset about was, of course, yes, that there is no king but Jesus, which went over and against the understanding of who Caesar was. But more than that, Christians made Romans look bad, or more specifically, made pagan Romans look bad. So even in the early church, we have Records where uh, a Roman uh, would give birth to a child that was either sickly or handicapped in some way and they would take that child and place them in a wooded area or some sort of wilderness area and and give them up to fate. If if an animal came along and took the child, that's the way the gods wanted it to go. If the child were somehow rescued, that's the way God wanted it to go. But the problem was that who was waiting in the woods for these babies? Christians. And then these children would start to grow up, and the person who left them in the woods would be walking through the town square and see the child that they knew was their daughter, knew was their son. Where did hospitals come from? Christians. Uh, Universities, especially as we know them in Europe and and, in the Western world, where do they come from? Christians. And so even leading up into the 20th century, uh, the church had taken a front role of not just providing education uh, for uh, the people. I mean, you think about uh, even some of the oldest colleges in the, well, all of the oldest colleges in the United States were founded as Christian institutions. Have you ever seen the founding documents of Harvard? Where the whole aim of Harvard, they said, is to lay Christ at the bottom of all things. Now that's in the archives, right? That's, that's not Harvard's uh, goal right now. But Harvard, Harvard and Yale were, were founded to do what? Train ministers of the gospel. College of William and Mary, founded as a Christian institution. Columbia University, founded as a Christian institution. Princeton, probably the most Christian institution, uh, and stayed Orthodox the longest uh, in the history uh, of universities in America. And you can read all about that kind of stuff in George Marsden's um, book about the American university and, and what happened uh, along the way. And even a place like the University of Virginia, which was founded as a state university and secular university, and there right next to the lawn, the closest building to the rotunda is what? A chapel. At Jefferson's University, and so Christianity had a, a place to play in that, and not just in the sort of, not just in those sort of structures, but also in the structures of social welfare in the world. I mean, before uh, Franklin Roosevelt, how were the poor taken care of? How how, how were um, uh, how were people cared for uh, when they were down and out? The churches did it. The churches were the instrument of social welfare in the communities in which they lived. And if you go to some towns town, today, some, you can still see that was the poor house. And now, that's, even though it wasn't that long ago where the church was doing that, the government has stepped in and the church has done what? They've pulled back and said, well, the government can do it and we can sit here and argue about how well the government does but there is in our uh, nation right now an understanding that the government should provide certain things for us and i'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that but i am saying that historically that wasn't the government's job that was the job of christians to take care of one another to love one another to to care for the city in which uh, god has placed you and so Christian involvement uh, in uh, the public square. And again, this is one thing that I, just as a little footnote. We live in a day and age where it doesn't matter what happened in the past. It's what's happening right now. So it does no good to appeal to anything that I've just said because that's not the experience of individuals in the United States right now. And so as far as their memory is concerned... The only involvement that Christians have in the public square is through elections, right? through politics. And, and don't even start to blame the 1980s and the moral majority and all of that kind of stuff, because they don't care about that stuff. They're just looking at what's happening right now. And what they feel is that there's a disconnect between politics and the Christian faith. And to some extent, they're right in that we haven't really developed in the American church a holistic understanding of what it means for us to engage in the communities in which we live and how we care and love, not just for one another, but also the people who live uh, alongside of us who may not even be Christians. So that's all I'm going to say about that. But that's, what, that, that, that's just unpacking this uh, a little bit. Uh, While not attending worship services with any regularity, a majority are practicing religion in another way, spirituality. More than half describe themselves as spiritual. Spirituality is more pronounced among women and tends to increase with age. And so of the people, um, again, uh, 21% very spiritual, uh, 35% somewhat spiritual, 25% 25% said uh, not too spiritual, and only 18% said not spiritual at all. So why you think that these nuns that we're talking about right now, that, that, they, um, that they're complete and total God-hating atheists, they're not. They're actually really open. And I also want to say, too, that they're not 20-somethings who live in San Francisco, That actually where we're seeing the greatest increase in number of people who say they're spiritual but not religious is basically the state of West Virginia who will put up on their Facebook site, you know, God and guns. You know, that that they actually will put up things that that are very pro-God. But when it comes to where does the church have a a place in your life, Uh, where does Jesus fit in, It's kind of a Jesus of their own making, and they would even go so far as to say that they're, they might even say they're Christian, uh, but really that faith is completely disconnected from their life. So actually the non-demographic is growing amongst people in rural America. That's where it's happening. Because the city has always been fairly secular uh, in 20th century America, so those demographics are growing elsewhere. And in fact, what we're seeing right now in cities is that church attendance is is moving up in cities in America because of gospel outposts in the cities that have real convictions that people are attracted to. Probably the best example of this is um, Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City where Tim Keller was the pastor. (laughs) Okay. Okay. There is a strong belief in the traditional Christian views, that Jesus existed and God exists. Fewer, but still a majority, believe Jesus rose from the dead. There is also a strong belief in evolution and in karma. Belief in evolution is much stronger among non-Christians and those who describe themselves as having no religion. So let's look at this. Eighty-eight percent of these unchurched and de-churched people said that Jesus existed, that he was a real historical figure. I mean, I'm not very old, but I can can remember being an undergraduate and hearing a professor trying to debunk that Jesus ever existed. Well, he failed because 88% of people who don't know Jesus from the hole in the wall still think he walked the face of the earth. 77% believe in God. Again, these are not atheists. 73% believe in evolution, 71% believe in karma, 68% of them believe in afterlife, as in heaven and hell, 67% believe in the spirituality of nature, 65% believe in angels and demons, 59% believe that Jesus rose from the dead, 53% believe in a personal devil or Satan, that that's also a real person. 46% believe in extraterrestrials, aliens, or UFOs. And only 19% believe in the existence of multiple gods. I'm heartened by this. I mean, statistically, okay, we can can work with this, can't we? Uh, As we see this thing. But one of the things I want to point out to you is that where 46% believe in aliens and UFOs, 71% believe in karma, 77% believe in God. 88% believe that uh, Jesus existed. 59% believe that Jesus rose from the dead. People today do not care if their strongly held convictions conflict with one another. Incoherence is not an issue for them. They don't care. So if you say, now wait a minute, how can you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but karma at the same time? I just do. What are you going to do about it? (laughs) Uh, So that actually makes these conversations really hard to have because you've got to figure out a way to come into the conversation, and I think that's actually the way to come into it. So how many times have you gone to an Easter service and heard a sermon where the preacher gets up, even here at the Advent, and gives a defense for the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? A convincing sermon that may not be all that convincing, but the preacher's trying to convince you that Jesus really did rise from the dead. I mean, have you not heard that? Does that not happen in the churches that you go or the church you go to? It happens. That's a stupid sermon to preach in our day and age. Because 60% of the people who are coming on, let's say, Easter Sunday, you know, the creasters that come on Christmas and Easter, 60% of them sitting in the pew are going to say, what about that sermon? Amen. Yeah, he, he was raised from the dead. So based on this, my sermon next Easter is not going to be, it is going to be about the resurrection, of course, but it's going to be, how does the, what does the resurrection mean for Karma. Because 71% of them think that that the universe is governed by karma, and if I just do enough good, in the one sense, if I do enough good things over bad things, at the end of the day, I'm going to be just fine. But in the here and now, karma teaches that bad things are happening to you because you're doing bad things. And if only you could just do good things, then God will reward you for doing those good things. And guess what? The resurrection takes karma and blows it up. It completely devastates it and says, no, God is not action consequence. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, he is for you. And your actions actually don't determine what happens to you in in your life because you're now in the hands of an almighty Savior. That's a sermon that I think would probably preach more to this demographic that we're talking about than getting up, albeit there are some contexts in which you might want to do that, where you get up and you give a defense uh, for why Jesus was raised bodily uh, from the dead. Well, what do they believe about God in general? Absolute belief in God can be described as modest at best, but this doesn't mean that the balance do not believe at all. They just don't believe in the traditional idea of God. Instead, their conviction is in a higher or spiritual power. Very few say they don't believe in God or something godlike. So 41% say this, and again, unchurched, de church people. 41% say, I believe in God and have no doubts. He's there, right? Not they're there, but he's there. 6% believe in God but doubt whether God is really able to help, which means 94% of them think if He's there, He's there to help. I believe in God, but doubt whether God is good, 1%. Only 1% are sitting there struggling, wondering whether or not God is good or not. I almost wish that they had done this amongst Christians, because we might fare worse than they do. I don't believe in God the way most people do, but I do believe in a higher spiritual power, 30%. I don't know whether there is a God, and I don't think that there is a way to find out. Only 9%, and then again, only 9% uh, don't uh, believe in God uh, at all. And so... um, So what I'm seeing, based on this research uh, from Justin and Glenn and the, the people, their minions at, at UVA, is that actually there's a tremendous openness and opportunity for the gospel in the world in which we live. And I think that in Birmingham, we have to be very careful about saying, that place is just too lost or too dark. It's too far gone from Christianity. And so for a while there, we had a number of people in our congregation whose children were moving to San Francisco. And the big complaint was, where are my kids supposed to go to church in San Francisco? And in a city that large, it's surprising that that there really are very few options uh, for people to go to church in San Francisco that would make going to church at all worthwhile. Um, But after a while, I realized, you know, rather than trying to find a place and just shrugging our shoulders and saying, I guess that's it, maybe the Advent should plant a church in San Francisco. Maybe we should gather some Christians together. If there's that much of a need, maybe we need to be looking at putting a church in San Francisco that can be a lighthouse for the gospel in that place. Or maybe there's a little church that we don't know about that we can partner with uh, in order uh, to build up their ministry. And so all of a sudden, you begin to think much more creatively uh, about all of these things. Okay. So again... um, now they break it down between the de-churched and the unchurched. Again, de-churched are people who grew up in the church but are no longer uh, going to church. And then uh, the unchurched are people who really didn't uh, go, uh, have never really been to church at all. And what you actually find is that they have nearly identical objections to Christianity. So some of it, we already talked about these. So um, 55% de-churched, 52% of unchurched, believe that some Christian groups are too intolerant. Now, I will say that this was phrased in a very specific way because they were also given the option of just saying Christianity in general is too intolerant, and they didn't take advantage of that. They really zoned in on the some Christian groups are too intolerant. So they're not saying that all Christians are intolerant, but they're just saying that their perception is that some are too intolerant. 51 and 47... The Christian religion and I have different views on social issues like abortion or gay marriage, 49% and 46%. I don't like how some Christian groups meddle in politics, 45 and 44 Many Christians are hypocrites, and uh, this is the only one that is a big, uh, a big almost nothing. There are lots of religions, and I'm sh- not sure the, ol- the only one has to be the right way. The de-churched don't have a problem with that, but 45% of the unchurched struggle with that. And then finally, they, they broke it down uh, according to, um, to age and gender. And uh, what's really remarkable about it is that it's pretty eas- evenly spread. Uh, there's not a lot, of, a lot of, well, they came out of this generation. It's amazing how powerful the culture has been in shaping people regardless of age, gender, gender race, demographic, it, it doesn't matter. The, the, the culture is really uh, shaping uh, who, who we are uh, and what it is uh, that, that we think. And so, uh, are we a, um, uh, a Christian nation? Um, this just breaks down what I've been talking about already. Uh, and does it matter? Well, I think that what uh, I hope we would say is that, of course, blessed is the nation uh, uh, whose, whose God is God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we would love to see our nation undergo revival and people turn toward the Lord Jesus Christ. But what we need to be very careful of is that we don't think that that means the Republicans sweep every election. But actually, it begins to make a difference in the life of the community. So during the Great Welsh Revival in 1904, um... uh, Throughout the entirety of of Wales, in one year's time, the crime rate was cut in half. The crime rate was cut in half. And there was only one area that would be considered negative that ticked up in Wales during the revival. And that was bankruptcies. Bankruptcies. Do you know what what caused that? Pubs and distilleries. Pubs and distilleries went bankrupt in Wales during the revival. doesn't mean people stopped drinking, but but they stopped drinking to the extent that they were drinking uh, in in Wales. Um, So when Christianity gets a hold of a nation, or rather when Jesus gets a hold of a nation, uh, it's top to bottom. Uh, it's not a satisfaction that a Christian has that, well, this one segment of our society is good, uh, but this one is bad. But actually, there is uh, an overwhelming sense of uh, caring uh, for uh, for this person and seeing them come into relationship with the Lord Jesus and actually uh, taking care of them uh, in a way that, uh, that the world isn't uh, going to take care of them. So uh, at the end of the day... Um, what, uh, what I see is that there's a whole lot more openness about having conversations around the Christian faith in the world in which we live, and, uh, and that excites me. Now, I've said a lot, but I'm going to open it up for questions, comments, and concerns. Yes, I'm sorry, Osvaldo, and then we'll get to you, Kelly. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um. Ooh. Are lost people in Birmingham closer to being saved than lost people in San Francisco? Ask me tomorrow. I mean, because, okay, let's talk about someone who's lost in Birmingham. Someone who's lost in Birmingham probably doesn't think they're lost and they grew up in the life of the church. And so you have to get them lost before they can get saved. So in some ways, evangelism in Birmingham is harder. Someone who's lost in San Francisco, and Matt Schneider would be uh, a, a, the poster child for this. You start talking to him about Jesus, and it's all new information. Come and see a man who told me everything that I've done. Just, just everything is new. Where there's almost so, uh, what did Flannery O'Connor say about the South? That it's a Christ haunted region. That that there's there's still this sense of that we know enough to get ourselves into trouble. And um, But what I am finding in Birmingham is there are more and more people, uh, especially younger people, this is where I think it would part ways with some of these statistics, are people who, who ne- even if they grew up in the church, they never heard the gospel because the churches in Birmingham, I think, have, have decided to do one of two things. They've decided, and, and the motivation was good. How do we communicate the gospel in a way that they might better understand? And so they've done the opposite of what is being criticized here, and they've sort of said, belief and convictions around the person and work of Jesus Christ need to take a back seat to us being socially engaged in the community. And if we can engage with them in the community, then maybe we can lead them to Jesus. Now, the problem in those churches is that Jesus has already been, he's been lost. And so you might have people who, who are saying, oh, look at all the good things that our church is doing socially. But theologically, their, their congregation, and by and large, is lost. And they're not hearing about Jesus and what he's done for them Sunday in, Sunday out. Um, I think that the person who feels this most acutely in America right now is the African-American Christian. Um, because they've grown up in a tradition where the gospel is proclaimed, they know that they're in need of salvation that has been purchased for them through the Lord Jesus Christ. But at the same time, a very deep understanding of of God's justice and mercy and having a people and the need for justice in the world in which they live. And then they look at the white church and they feel like it's one or the other. So I think they feel it more acutely than we do, and I think that churches like the Advent can really learn a lot from looking at the African-American church to see a better integration of the Christian faith, not only in the life of their congregation, but how they live out their faith in the world. Kelly. Yeah. 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 So Christianity makes you much more self aware and in tune with yourself um, than not being a Christian. So actually, a Christian can say, you know, yes, I've. I've done this, yeah, and, 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 but it doesn't define you. You know, there's, there's less of this need to project or to shroud uh, who you are because who you are is in, in Jesus Christ. And so those things that, uh, and this gets really tricky with your family because especially if you, if you become a Christian later on in life, families are really good at putting up into your face, but I grew up with you and I really know who you are. And yet... You know that you're different because you've been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus has even gone back into that history, into that past. He's stepped right into it, and he's redeemed it, and he's forgiven it all. And that actually allows you to open it up and say, yeah, I was a drunk. Uh, Yeah, I I did that. I, I made a mess of relationships. Yeah, I was a terrible son. But Jesus. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.